Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello there, and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. It is, oh, my computer got unplugged. My battery's not good. We don't want that to happen. It is Thursday, May 11th, a little after 9 a.m. Central Time. Again, this is the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast on Hawk Fanatic. I am Rob Howe, joined by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. Scott, I've spent um, the last couple days in the yard. This, I, I think springtime to like the get the getting the yard kind of in order from the winter to me is the most taxing part because like you in the fall like when august rolls around yard work stops for me because it's football season i don't get to then i get out there in the spring and i'm like oh shit there's leaves in this this flower bed and all that stuff i gotta cut back weeds that grew in the fall that's been my week how's your week going (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's been there's been weeds growing everywhere, I think, uh, this week. But, uh, you know, I, I did yesterday. I, I mowed because I it felt like, uh, you know, I looked out there. I'm like, damn, this this grass is growing fast. It so grew quick this last long. week. Yeah, I think all the rain and stuff. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I try to keep up a little bit in November because we have roadside leaf pickup, you know, where yeah. they have like this giant vacuum cleaner. And I have massive trees that that pollute the ground with their leaves so i i usually try to spend like a an hour every day or every other day kind of in mid-november just to when i it's like when i want to uh mentally get a break instead of sitting on the couch watching tv i'm like all right i better go out and get this stuff done but but yeah the last week or so and then i look and the areas that didn't have weeds or just and I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, you know, figuratively and literally, literally, this was a week full of weeds. <laughs> yeah, I don't think people want to hear about my yard work complaints, but uh, we have, uh, we live on the east side of Iowa too, and uh, east side of Iowa City too. And I think I've told you that and maybe talked about it on the podcast, but we have a tendency to get drop-offs here. People oh. take their cats for a ride. And drop them off here on the outside of town because we're like at the right where the farmland starts. So uh, we've had one that we brought to the shelter and one that uh, one of the neighbors has adopted. So got to move around them, too, when I'm outside. Uh, They they keep me company, though, when I'm outside doing yard work. So that's not bad. 
No. Well, well, kudos to you. I hate when that stuff happens. I think that's the weakest thing somebody could do. I mean, if you have a pet, you know, keep your pet or take, you know, there are shelters and I don't like that either because, you know, they don't understand the difference. So, uh, but yeah. And I don't want to pin it on any group of people, but it seems to happen right at the end of the spring semester every year. So take, take that information for what it's all right. We're going to talk about Yeah, yeah, Let's go pop into that. (laughs) Um, where do we want to start? We probably should start with this uh, gambling story that you're working on, Scott. Um, I have not done much on this, uh, just to kind of give people an idea of why I'm not doing anything on this is because uh, I am a con- uh, independent contractor these days. I am no longer full-time with Hawkeye Nation or any other uh, website. So I uh, I do part, I just, I get paid by the piece basically. And I work for five, six different websites. So I have responsibilities all over the place. And uh, when you get paid a certain amount of money for a story, it's going to be a lot to do a story like this. Scott has kind of broken his butt on this this week. Um, and uh, I'm not doing that for <laughs> getting paid for one story. So I'm going to let Scott do a lot of the talking on this. Um, I guess the one component for me, Scott, and I think the one component for uh, and read Scott's work at The Athletic for background on this. We just don't have enough time in the podcast to dissect every part of this. It's a story that's run now for several days. So there's plenty of information out there, specifically at The Athletic, that Scott's done. But the criminal word, when that word popped up, Scott, that was like, oh, shit. Uh, yeah. Point shaving, it's since been kind of, that's been, what, uh eliminated i guess yeah. from from the equation what do we have any insight into what the criminal part of this inv- investigation involves is it just underage betting well and i'll i'll take a step back a little bit and say yeah. that there are, there are three veins to this investigation by three different types of agencies and number one is criminal you know that i was a de- you know, Department of Criminal Investigation, Division of Criminal Investigation, is looking into the criminal elements. Two is the NCAA, which has been, you know, was self-reported by both Iowa and Iowa State, because uh, Iowa has 26 athletes, and Iowa State has 15 who are um, implicated, I guess. And third is the Racing and Gaming Commission, and they're more or less assisting the Division of the DCI for Iowa, and also looking into the apps themselves and and some of the the sites that are dealing with this. The criminal element, um, you know, yes, we can eliminate point shaving, we can eliminate any kind of malfeasance associated by the. Um, athletes gambling insider on from insider information things right. like that like hey um you know somebody's dating somebody on the men's basketball team who says hey so and so is not playing tonight stuff like that if yeah. people are wondering why these rules are in place they are in place for a good reason is it overreaching maybe i think in this day and age i think the rules probably should be updated yeah and the ncaa um forbids gambling by athletes in sports that they sponsor. So somebody could, you know, gamble on horse racing or MMA or, you know, I don't know if boxing counts or not, but, but, you know, those types of, you know, well, golf. Golf. Oh yeah. Yeah, it is. And tennis. I forgot about that. Yeah. So you cannot bet on those sports 
but you know MMA or or the Kentucky Derby or whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, you could. Nah, I'm not even <laughs> Uh, Nathan's uh, hot dog eating contest. Go and throw, take Joey Chestnut and throw the points. Yeah, there you go. That's that's tough. I I I have kind of sick jokes mind, so I don't want to go there with the horse race. Let him fly, man. This is an this is we have no regulations on the guy hot Uh, You know the over under on how many horses uh, make it to the race. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, that's that's uh, that's, they've got their own problems there. Yeah, right. But um, the criminal element that that is investigated, um, and nobody would go on record to say that, but it has to deal with betting underage, and that is illegal. You have to be 21 in Iowa in order to bet. Um, And then how maybe those individuals, if they did bet, how they were able to bet. It's not just simply that they were 19 and did it because if they were able to get, use their proper form of ID and get in, then that's also an app issue. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the, you know, whatever it's FanDuel or DraftKings or whatever, whatever the many different, um, you know, apps that are out there. And these agencies are looking at that too, right? Yeah. It's not just the student athlete end. It's, it's what's oh, yeah. on both ends. Right. And that's where, you know, DCI is investigating that. And also the Racing and Gaming Commission is looking into that because they're the ones who have jurisdiction over the the apps and stuff. So it could be very, uh, you know, it's twofold there. Now, I'm I'll only speculate in to say that this is something that's possible. I'm not going to say that this is anything that happened. But if somebody used fraudulent means to change their age to 21, as for instance, if they were 19 or 20 and they used a, a fake social security number or something like that, then you're in you're in deep shit. I mean, that is big time. Um, so that's a little more than using the fake ID down at. Uh, yeah. <laughs> at the the field, field house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that is completely different. And, and, uh, you know, because usually it's either uh, they just say, oh, okay, or they'll take it. And that's, you know, (laughs) unless there's a cop standing right there, you know, but but either way, that that is the dangerous part. Now, uh, when it comes to the NCAA violations, as we as we said that you're, you're not allowed to bet on sports that the NCAA sponsors, especially your own. Um, in talking to the Racing and Gaming Commission the other day, there were no really integrity red flags or, or markers to suggest what may have happened with like Alabama LSU, right. where there was insider information placed. Um, it was nothing like that. And speculation I'll throw out there is it, it very well could have been somebody betting on a um you know, like an NBA finals or an NBA basketball game or, or the Super Bowl or something like that. And, um, and so there are penalties associated with that from the NCAA. And, you know, the case that really you need to look at is Alan Tisdale from Virginia Tech. Um, he was suspended initially for betting on the NBA finals last summer. Uh, he was suspended for nine games and then he appealed and he got cut to six. He bet around $400. Now that's doesn't sound like a lot, but he made more than a hundred bets. So um, there's usually a tiered structure the, by the NCAA as to you know how many how many games you miss, how much you know what, what you based on how much you wager, and, and maybe the amount of times may have figured into that too. I mean, if you, if you're making if you're bet a thousand dollars and you bet two hundred times, 
you're probably going to be in trouble, in big trouble. But Did if, he uh, win? He won forty-one dollars. <laughs> He's terrible. Uh, Four, yeah. Six games for forty-one bucks. It's not yeah. worth it, kids. Yeah, I mean, uh, half his season gone. Uh, you know, so that was like that was like uh, roulette there, and uh, you, you didn't pick red or black. You picked. Uh, do they have a, a? Do they have a penalty system? If you bet this many times, if you bet this much money, is there like a? A, a chart of what the suspensions would be based on the offense? They do not have it public, but okay. they're apparently, according to the schools themselves, that there is a tiered system as to how much that they do that. Now, I'm looking into that, and hopefully I do get back some information on the NCAA because I think that'll that have, all that stuff will come after we're done podcasting. Yeah, that'll come later today. It's <laughs> on the story. Yeah. Tune in at about 11 today yeah. when we go off the podcast and news will break yeah three thirty today uh by the way the <laughs> ncaa said it. now um i went to carroll the other day for the first iClub spot of the season uh there's only three this week and des moines was last night and cedar rapids is today and you know tried to get a little bit of information from gary barda i know in advance they were like uh-uh, we're not talking and uh i already i already knew kind of knew that but one thing i did ask was about the spring athletes. And this is the same case at Iowa State, too, because they have track athletes. Iowa has track athletes and baseball players who are uh, – We should probably put that out there, Scott. What sports are uh, involved in this? At Iowa, it's football, men's basketball, wrestling, um, baseball, and men's track and field. At Iowa State, it's football, wrestling, and men's track and field. Um, All men's sports. Yeah, all men's sports. Imagine that. Um, <laughs> the, the uh, you know, I did ask Gary about the spring sports. You know, hey, are you, does this look like it's going to be over for these guys? You know, are they going to be able to come back? And he said, and I believed him. He says, I don't know. And, you know, he said it in kind of a way of, he really doesn't know because when you start to deal with governmental agencies, the timetable isn't the same as dealing with the Big Ten Conference or dealing with your own uh, internal investigations. I mean, this is, you know, you're dealing with criminal, you know, and they're going to handle it the way they handle it. And NCAA, as we know, is not exactly the model for efficiency and, and speed. So, yeah. um, so among the players, as we know, for the baseball team, you know, when you're looking at Keaton Anthony, who is, uh, you know, a tremendous player, it was held out. Um, I, I think we could put, you know, it, we don't have to really know algebra to know that, you know, one plus X equals two and what the X is. Because and if it was an injury, they would just announce that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know, but he was started every game and he was, he's out, you know, three games. So, uh, you know, I've had people saying, how is this going to affect Iowa football in the fall? <laughs> I'm the same way as Gary Barta. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we don't know yet who is involved let alone how much they were involved. I mean, was it, you know, we know that there was 26 athletes in total. Um, you know, was it basically even across the board? Was it one from one sport and 10 in another? I mean, we just don't know. So, um, and I how think, much were the betting? You know? and, and with baseball, um, you talked about the timeline. Um, what, they have seven games left, two more Big yeah. Ten series. So, and you, these people that are looking into this don't care about that. No. 
It's not their purview. It's yeah. not that, you know, and I know that there are people who are close to it want some sort of uh, finality. I get it. You know, whether it's Rick Heller or, or reporters or fans or whatever, they want this to be, you know, hey, we, we want to know either way. Well, that's just not the way it works when you're dealing with legal, when you're dealing with the NCAA and these investigations over something like this. They don't, and, and frankly, the, the athletes don't deserve anything. They know these are against the rules. They know it. They're told it. They're, they, you know, at every school, they're, you know, don't bet on it signs. There are. Uh, don't they have people come in and give yes. them like talks and stuff before Absolutely. the seasons? They do. They, they have education and everything. So, you know, I'm not going to be high and mighty and say, oh, uh, you know, I mean, because I, I understand that, you know, it's a significant part of our uh culture these days we have podcasts and you know sponsored by casinos that have concerts <laughs> you know that have thank uh, you, you to know. wild rose for sponsoring yeah. this podcast yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> um you know so you have all of these different uh elements in play here um you know and and how many of us or anybody you know had played cards that's wagering that's gambling you know and fantasy sports like, man yes Exactly. Is that, that's a think about the industry of fantasy sports now. ESPN and mm-hmm. those networks have sh- multiple shows dedicated to that. No, I know we have multiple writers dedicated yeah. to different every sport. Every I know. Sport. I read it. Yeah, I mean it's helpful <laughs> for baseball, for football, for basketball, for hockey. You know, Cyrus is the dude. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, you know, when you think about NCAA tournament pools and, and things yeah. like that. So, you know, bowl pools. And, and so I, I think it's I think so- it's hard to I think when you say, well, why, you know, why can't they expedite this for this the spring sport athletes? It's hard for me to imagine, Scott, and maybe it's the case. There are people that just don't pay attention to this stuff that anybody involved in this didn't know it was a violation. Yeah, exactly. Everybody is educated on this. Everybody knows it's wrong and they did it anyway. Now, every young person in America, myself included a long time ago, because I'm an old dude now, but every one of us did something stupid, you know, back in the day. And whether it's, yes, I admit it. I had a fake ID to get into bars when I was younger. Yeah. I mean, that's fraud that, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, you had, everybody did something you know, that you you look back and everything, yeah, that was kind of stupid. Um, so should they have this, you know, to me, you know, when we, when you start to get into the opinions of it and people are like, oh, that's not a big deal. Well, no, it is a big deal. They deserve any kind of, they deserve punishment. Do they deserve to, to be sentenced to banishment from their sport? If they bet on their sport, they do. If they mm-hmm. probably bet on Iowa sports, they do. Because you have the potential, again, roommates, People, you know, people you hung out with. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, imagine if you're a football player and your roommate's a basketball player and you went and got hammered last night and then uh, came back, he pukes, he has a big hangover and, you know, he's got a game at, you know, in the middle of the afternoon on a Saturday. He's like, I'm betting against him. He's not doing anything today. (laughs) That's that's why you don't have that. Um, And so. I, I will say this, that, you know, I, I can be critical of Iowa all day and night, but I'm not going to be in this situation because I felt like they offered up a substantial information to the public. We're fairly transparent and they provided a timeline of events of when they found out 
information and then when they you know uh, and, and unveiled it on Monday so um Anno and Iowa State hasn't been quite as forthcoming but they have issued a statement and with the information as well so I think this is something that uh, it, it's going to take time it's going to there's you're, we're going to need patience and it's hard to have patience it's probably it probably would be much harder to have patience if this was September instead of May. I mean, I know baseball is important to a lot of people, but it's not life or death to the majority of people like uh, football is. So I think we do have to have some patience before this is all kind of unveiled and we can kind of understand where, where things are headed to the future and what kind of uh, punishments will be unveiled by the NCAA. And if there are criminal charges, because if there are criminal charges, that could change the dynamic of some of this, uh, you know, some of the penalties by the NCAA. So what's next, Scott? What's the, do you have any, I know you don't have probably a lot of um, precedent with this in terms of your coverage, but um, in covering covering these gambling uh, stories, because they don't happen that often, thankfully. But um, is it to the point now where we just wait to see for the conclusion or are there steps along the way where we will get information or do you know? Yeah, I, I can, I can only fill in some of the blanks there, Rob, because I I don't know enough. I don't have any precedent other than some of these athletes, you know, like an Alan Tisdale from Virginia Mm -hmm. Tech and, you know, and, and make no mistake, this is nothing like what happened with Alabama. I mean, and when a coach does that and informs somebody that is that that to me is like the death penalty for you as a as a as a coach you know probably in any level um you just cannot do that ever and uh so you know what what they're doing i mean cuz 111 figure you know people at Iowa were flagged including one person in the sport, in the athletics department which i would be inter- really interested in knowing who that was and whether or not that person sticks around cuz i kind of think that's probably uh, I can't imagine that person would have a job you know unless I was I I wonder if it's a it's there's so it could be so many I mean it could be an underage kid that's doing an internship in the athletic department you know so a student worker in you know for the athletic department it's so hard to know what there's so many possibilities yeah you would hope that is the case and and again you don't know um there hasn't been any kind of discussion that they bet on their own teams yes. or anything. So, so you always bring it back to that because you think, <laughs> you know, was it, uh, you know, let's say it was uh, our, our good buddy Max betting the over on Iowa football and he's part of that would probably, you know, um, that's not the case here, but, uh, you know, every, and of course everybody, you know, that was the first joke everybody was laying out there that everybody was betting the under on Iowa football, but, uh, but uh, you know, there's 111 former athletes are part of this. And whether or not that they are, you know, former athletes, meaning they're still at the school and their eligibility is expired or transferred. So I'm sure that there's going to be, you know, whether they transferred to, uh, you know, another power five school or any school to play sports or they just their eligibility is expired. I mean, this is all going to be investigated. And do we know how far back the investigation reaches? So it could have been somebody that just is in the you know, this class, the class of 2023, class of 2022, because we don't know how long. I mean, it could be somebody who just exhausted their eligibility, too. 
Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I mean, it could be somebody who just finished their sixth year of yeah. you know, the sport, or it could be somebody who transferred its semester after there's football season or something yeah. like that. I, I don't know. Um, my guess is that when you're dealing with former student athletes, that that's probably that it's probably doesn't go back a year plus. Yeah. I think we would have heard about that a long time ago. So this is um but yeah, there isn't really a lot of precedent, not for this kind of a blanket statement, but I do think, you know, and, and the reason why people, you know, there's, there are some interesting thoughts about, well, you know, what does it matter if a football player bets on the NBA or if a basketball player bets on the Super Bowl or something like that, you know, what they're trying to do is eliminate um, any kind of looks at an impropriety because we don't know if, let's say a, a former football player was really good friends with Keegan Murray and they're playing, the Warriors are playing the Kings and he knows something or he was texting with them and he's like, yeah, uh, you know, my teammate, he's, he, I don't think he's going to play tonight. It's going to suck, you know, and then boom, you know, and you know, nobody's going to prevent a student athlete from that kind of information or a regular student from that, but an athlete, you know, has, you know, there is a stronger connection usually. So I think those are the, those are the things that, the NCAA is watching now, you know, ultimately, you know, I think my hope, I hope, and most people's hopes are that if it was fairly, you know, innocent, that it's a slap on the wrist, that it's, there's not much of a penalty. And I think that's what everybody should be hoping for. If it's again, you know, Hey, I, sorry, I bet on the Super Bowl or I bet on this team. They're my favorite team and I shouldn't have. And okay, well, here's a game suspension or here's two or something like that. Then, you know, then it becomes a teachable moment that these have real world consequences. This isn't just some sign in the locker room um, or at the football complex or or the basketball shooting facility for these schools that they can look and say, look what happened here. And look at the high profile in this nature of this. And unfortunately, Iowa and Iowa state are kind of the test cases for that. But um, you know, and, but then again, if there's fraud or if there's illegal activity um, dealing with say um, underage, then that's, that's probably going to, you know, make the violation stick a little bit harder and uh and show you know some real teeth and then the the apps themselves will be severely penalized for that yeah you would think that as much money is involved you know um and how much money these casinos make that they would do everything that they can to try to close any loophole for somebody to be able to get the app or bet on the app illegally but you know People are creative to get around things like that. And maybe that's the case here where, you know, um, somebody was betting for somebody else. They were using somebody else's app. I mean, there's so many possibilities here. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, we, we would be going down that line of speculation, but I think in some ways it's also healthy to just throw out, to throw out examples of what could have happened in that regard and i think that's really important so um so yeah you could be using somebody else's you could have signed on and you know maybe again used a fraudulent birth date or you know something to that effect that that puts you in that category and you know the the consequences probably will be severe you know for they'll be severe for for you and and ultimately you let down your team 
because if you're uh, a contributor and, and a contributor doesn't even have to be on fields on say football Saturdays, it's through the week. Maybe you're a really good scout team or maybe you're a guy that, that does things well. I mean, you're letting their whole team down. And I think that's something that needs to be reinforced throughout that when you do this, the, the penalties are going to be severe, not only to you, but everybody you care about that's around you and, and fighting just like you are. What from a from a legal standpoint, from a criminal standpoint, is it is it most likely fines? You don't see these people going anybody going to jail, do you? I can't imagine that. I mean, even even some stupid 19 year old that forged or did something like that, unless they were stealing, you know, I I mean, and I then that's really even speculation too far for me to, to suggest that somebody was stealing. So I think it's probably more in the lines of, yeah, fines community service stuff like yeah. that you know psas maybe you yeah. know that that may be a good thing maybe the ncaa says okay well we'll reduce your suspension from x games to x games um if you you know re- agree to or record a pca and maybe that also takes care of some of the community service you know again this is these are just ideas and pc right. you know, and speculation but um but you know, right now that's kind of what we're left with because we just, they, the, the investigations are ongoing and these agencies rarely provide updates of any merit while they're investigating until they've reached a conclusion. Do you get a sense, Scott, that this is a tip of the iceberg or this is isolated to Iowa? Is this going to happen? Are we going to hear more stories about this around the country? I know Iowa was one of the first uh, states to uh, legalize sports gambling. So um, obviously that there seems to be a connection there or there could be a connection there. I, I would imagine that, you know, now how much I, I would imagine this is going on on every single university in the country. Not anymore. You had a lot of people saying, Oh shit. Yeah. Last exactly. weekend when this broke. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, that, and uh, depending on whether there were, you know, any kind of integrity markers that were, you know, transposed into different yeah. places, then, you know, I would not be surprised if uh, there's some people looking internal compliance offices uh, around, you know, in most universities or, or uh, gaming commissions at other states, and maybe even, you know, depending on if there was any kind of criminal activity, it could be their state's jurisdiction for that. So, yeah, I, I and honestly, you know, there's there's nothing unique about <laughs> young you know these are all men but you know young men between the ages of 18 and 23 uh they're always the same sometimes their means are different like in our case 30 plus years ago or whatever when we were that age group we had to go to a bookie to to make these types of things um you know 10 years ago you had to go actually to the casino itself to make these bets now you can do it on your phone, which makes the accessibility just so easy. And, you know, and, and you look at like the NFL, you're not allowed to do it from a team facility. And the Lions ended up with five or six guys who got suspended. The Lions cut several, you know, and then Jameson Williams was suspended for six games, you know, because he could have walked off the facility and done it. He didn't, he did it at his own and he was suspended by the NFL for six games. And that's, that's severe. I mean, that is big time severe. I mean, what was the he, story with Calvin Ridley? He, uh, he bet. Um, Cause he got suspended for a year, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. For a full year. And I think he might've, it was just, it wasn't very much, but he, he might've 
I can't remember if he bet on his own team or the NFL, but, but he was hurt. He was out for the season, yeah. but he still, you know, they bet they canned him for a year. So, you know, there is precedent for some really strong penalties outside of the NCAA. And we haven't seen many of these for a while. I mean, again, nobody's suggesting there's point shaving or, um, you know, I think prop bets are where things could get the most scary. You know, it's not so much, uh, you know, betting, even if as a player betting on your own team's outcome or even through the, the point spread, I mean, you'd look pretty bad if, if you could switch, you know, just completely tank a game. But I think uh, it's it, the prop bets are where things can be adjusted very quickly. And that's, that's something that I, you know, and, and in the state of Iowa, and here's, here's something that we did look into, you know, in the state of Iowa, what's different is yes, you can, you can bet on Iowa and Iowa state football, men's basketball, whatever in Illinois, you cannot bet on the, the college sports teams inside Illinois. So you can't bet on the lion eye or the wildcats or whoever. And I don't anticipate that getting changed in Iowa because there's just, there's no Chicago bears or Minnesota Vikings, mm. but um you know, certain things that may be attached to, you know, if, if there are prop bets uh, associated with the sport and college leagues or sporting events, I can see that being something that the lawmakers need to take a look at because I think those can be the most manipulated um, through the course of the season. Yeah. And for folks that don't know um, what prop bets are that aren't, uh, you know, in tune with gambling, that's basically you can bet on how many points a guy scores uh, you know, rebounds, things like that. So um, obviously you can see how, how those can be yeah. manipulated by an individual when you're talking about actual statistics for a certain player. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, if, if you're talking about the over-under on, um, I don't know, you know, let's say basketball, you know, this last year, like Chris Murray, 13 and a half points, uh, you know, it, it's pretty yep. easy for, for him to have a bad shooting day, you know, or, um, you know, just all kinds of different things, you know, uh, the over-under. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I saw some videos this week of people trying to speculate on where yeah. uh, there could have been improprieties, but that's really not fair to people. That isn't, that was wrong. There was nothing associated with it. And, uh, you know, and, and again, what, what I would suggest, cause I just don't even want to give it credence. That's, that's unfair. Yeah, I'm not saying any yeah, names or right. anything like that, but you know, that would be more indicative of a prop bet than, yeah. you know, attached to an individual who fell down as opposed to, because most circumstances, if you fall down inside the five yard line, your team probably will score a touchdown if they don't fumble uh, over the goal line. Um, <laughs> which, happened. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but if you were, if it was a prop bet that, um, there wouldn't be a touchdown pass or if there would be, yep. you know, that's where it, oh, okay. Or, you know, Hey, you know, so I think that's where people need to be very, very cautious. We will follow this story. Scott will be on it. Check out his work at The Athletic, and uh, we'll see. Stay hang in there. Be patient. Don't go overboard with speculation. It's fine to have conversations about what it could be, but don't start putting people's names out there and uh, trying to um, sully their, um, you know, reputations 
because you're trying to get to the bottom of this. Let the system play out here. We'll get the information hopefully at the end of what went on. And uh, hopefully uh, it's as um, as trivial as it can be in a situation like this. But this is serious stuff. And uh, we'll have to keep an eye on it. Let's take a break now. Um, get my read up here. And uh, I will read it now. Support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That is sui.org. We'll hear from a few more sponsors, and Scott and I will be back on the other side, and we'll even talk about some sports, like actual competition and things like that. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Oriza Asian Cuisine and Bar is celebrating its fifth year anniversary. Enjoy Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, and Korean all combined into one menu. Visit Five Sturgis Corner Drive next to Staples in Iowa City. Open 11 to 10 every day, 365 days a year, or visit online at arisaic.com. And we are back here on the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast. Thank you to our sponsors, and thank you folks for hanging in there with us to pay the bills. Again, Thursday, May the 11th. It's about 9.45 a.m. now. Scott, let's, uh, where do we want to go here? Let's go with... As we were joking about earlier, news breaking after we finished the podcast last Thursday, uh, after we completed our podcast, uh, former Ohio State and Chicago St. Rita receiver Caleb Brown. We talked about him last week in the podcast and his visit. We just didn't know yet that he was going to commit that soon. We had talked about uh, potential upcoming visits to Oklahoma and Texas A&M. They did not happen. Iowa closed the deal and addressed a need in a major way. Scott, I got questions on the mailbag about what reasonable, that's a key word, expectations <laughs> are for Caleb Brown. Uh, for those that don't know, he is only one year out of high school. Um, really good recruit. Uh, I talked about uh, how what I felt from my personal standpoint, what I thought are reasonable expectations for him. Um, what do you what say you? I think it's gonna, I think people are talking this year. Oh yeah, I think he and Marvin Harrison will be the top two receivers in the Big Ten. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I think it's reasonable to suggest that he should be a starter, and you know the, the numbers are the numbers, and I I don't know what that will end up entailing. That's just something I don't that it's hard to do and hard to predict in Iowa's offense. But I think it's fair to suggest that he can have a significant impact, that he could be a starter uh, at minimum, be a strong contributor. Um, You know, maybe it's not as a starter as one of the two receivers, but maybe as one of the three receivers, because they do go 11 personnel quite a bit and uh, you know, and have a, a real factor, you know, multiple touchdowns, good relationship with the quarterback. Um, is you know three receptions a game I think that's probably fair for this offense because you're looking at the neighborhood of high 30s to low 40s depending on what ends up happening this season 
Um, I think that's fair for, you know, a very, very talented redshirt freshman. Um, I don't, I think anything beyond that is probably unreasonable for a couple of reasons. One is he's still a redshirt freshman, talented, but still a redshirt freshman. And two, you got to, that I think people will need to look at the fact that there are two NFL caliber tight ends on this roster that are going to accumulate a lot of statistics. So I think, uh, you know, if he can become a major contributor, you know, and play, roughly a third of the snaps of the wide receivers, if not a little bit more, and also have multiple touchdowns between 30, you know, north of 30 receptions, then I think overall you look at it as a probably a quality season. I think for me, um, what stands out, provided these guys, um, Caleb Brown and Seth Anderson, you know, continue to develop and you get what you kind of recruited and and hope you get that type of production you get, I mean, Iowa has struggled recruiting high school receivers. They're getting, you know, two guys with a lot of eligibility left. So they're addressing that position through the transfer portal, which we, we talked about after last season, probably you and I talked about being, you know, the, probably the route they're going to need to go for a while. Then you build the position up and then you're more attractive to the high school kids. Exactly. If, if you look at these, you know, I, I think now Iowa has four scholarship receivers that to me feel like they can play right away. Um, I think, you know, we know about Nico. He's played forever. Um, I think Deontay Vines has proved himself to be a capable rotational receiver, probable starter, but let's see. Um, how he competes with Seth Anderson when healthy or, or Caleb Brown when, um, you know, on campus, you know, and of those four, you, you hope that those four get a lot of snaps because I think that's the, one of the more optimum numbers for Iowa. If they can have four receivers who are capable, you're in pretty good shape. Usually they need probably two more as kind of fill in guys. Cause somebody will get hurt at some point, somebody will, you know, get dinged up during a game or, or injured or, or, or not even injured, just um, winded. Um, you know, and yeah. that's, that's where I would say one of the, the four young guys, I'll throw Bostic in there, but Moda, Bowie, Howard, and then, you know, maybe a walk on like uh, Alec Wick or, or uh, Johnson, you know, Jack Johnson, I think, they have the ability to supplement. What you don't want is what happened last year, of course, or even in the spring, which is you're reliant upon, um, you're, you're throwing out names of walk-ons like they're really going to impact your team. They're not going to impact your team, and you know, unless there are other people around them that help that. I mean, you know, Nick Easley um, was a junior college player who had a really good, what he was an all American junior college player. And, and you look at Charlie Jones, he was a starter who impacted a Mac team. That's different than, you know, somebody who comes out of high school as a walk on without a real opportunity. And, and you're expecting him to start. I think Alec Wick is going to be, is probably going to be a scholarship player at some point in his career, maybe next year or a year down the road after that. And maybe he becomes a scholarship guy and maybe he becomes a rotational guy, but you don't want him as a, as a freshman doing that, you know, or whatever year he is. So I think that's uh but if they have four that can play and those two tight ends, plus I think Addison Ostranga is a, is an ascending talent there then I feel, I feel like, okay, then they have a shot at being good. You know, I'm, 
not going to predict any kind of, you know, all big 10 rece- receiving yards out of any of the receivers, but I think this, that's a pretty good start. Yeah. You just, you need to be productive at that position. You need to be a threat at that position to stretch the field. You need to be able to, you know, open things up a little bit for your offense, the running game, tight ends, things like that. Um, and your your teams are going to focus on taking away Caleb Johnson and the tight ends. That should put the receivers in a position to succeed. Single coverage, you know, a lot of you know a lot of opportunities there for them. I will say this about Caleb Brown. People have asked me kind of what he was like in recruiting. First story I did on him was in 2020 when Iowa offered. Watched his film throughout the years. It's not exactly like Scott, but it's similar to Tyrone Tracy in that in high school, their high schools understood how talented they were, and they moved them around a lot, sometimes running back, sometimes in the slot, sometimes outside, a lot of different ways to get their ball, the ball in their hands so they can make plays. Caleb Brown is a guy who's going to make plays in space. He's going to make plays make people miss, you got to get the ball to him in a certain way. But he is still developing as a receiver, route running, things like that. I, you know, that's why I think people going overboard expecting him to be like a first-team All-Big Ten pick this year, tap the brakes, let him develop a little bit more. But the good thing is, is you got a four-star kid in your program now, one year removed from high school, that if you would have got him coming out of high school – God, there would have been fireworks in a parade. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at who he turned down to go to Ohio State, and yeah. know, he just happened to be behind. You know, I, I do think that, uh, um, you know, I, I think the most talented receiver I've ever seen at the at the collegiate level, and Marvin Harrison Jr. I, you know, he's just out of this world. So the fact is that you know he left, he came to Iowa, he did not continue on in a journey to Oklahoma or Texas A and M. Says says a lot, says, uh, okay, that, you know, Iowa and its reputation or whatever is not so, you know, tainted, I guess, that people wouldn't, um, you know, consider it at that position group. And that says a lot. And that's a good thing. And that's, that does suggest because, you know, losing Keegan Johnson, who I think was probably the biggest loss, at least um, as a true receiver out of that group, but also Arlen Bruce, Charlie Jones, of course, a year ago, but, um, I, you know, I think it suggests that, okay, this team is capable, you know, now they have to use them. One thing that I think that's probably helpful with somebody like Caleb Brown is Iowa, um, when Iowa does run a lot of jet sweeps, it's been very successful in the running game, both with the ball and without the ball in its hands, that it forces the second level to have a little bit of hesitation. It, you know, okay, here's a quick guy coming off the edge. If he hits the edge with the ball in his hands, I mean, we've seen it with Amir Smith-Barset, how deadly that could be. And if they continue, um, and so they have to be cognizant of that, which then in, in turn massively helps the the outside zone and inside zone. Because if you're forcing a, a linebacker, and I'm just kind of standing here with my hands up like this, <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, he sees the motion and he takes one step this way, they come off the ball and you, they, they screen you off, then bury you this way. Whereas you were right here and you would have been able to head that off and then move. That's, that's what, I mean, that's why their, their yards per carry were up so much just from simply having jet sweep motion last year. And I think that's something that, 
needs to be incorporated in their offense because of the way that cut, cut blocks are officiated these yeah. days and legislated. Um, you're just not going to be able to use them because they can't, they're still effective and they're still legal, but they aren't, they're, they're not legislated correctly on the field. So I think this is a, this is one way where that can be, um, you know, you can kind of mitigate it and alter and, and evolve your offense where people may not notice it, but it is a big change. So Iowa, um, you know, we talked, we you know, started this conversation during last season, you know, when, while watching the offense sputter, that's probably being kind, um, <laughs> that, that, you know, positions need to be addressed on that side of the ball. Yeah. And if you're grading, excuse me, sorry about that. I had a piece of hair in my mouth. Nobody needed to hear that, but (laughs) that was for the people watching on YouTube wondering what I was doing. Um, You know, Kirk Ferentz decided to stick with the coaching staff, stick with the offensive coaches, offensive line, offensive coordinator, probably the two that people were most focused on underperforming last year. Um, But and addressed personnel. They were telling you that this was a personnel issue, that he believed in his coaches, that they were going to address the personnel, upgrade the personnel, at least in their mind, and that was going to fix the offense. Well, they've upgraded the personnel, Scott. They've gotten receivers, tight end, quarterback, mm-hmm. offensive linemen. This, there, There's no more wiggle room here if this doesn't work no question you know and and i don't think anybody would be satisfied or happy if if they hit 25.4 points <laughs> per game you know and they win nine games uh, i don't think that that works this year um but you, you know as much as we have criticized and everybody has criticized him from keeping whether you know brian ferentz the staff intact similar scheme, all of those types of things. You also have to give them credit that they they hit the portal for eight scholarship players, seven of which are on the offense, and all seven are going to be at minimum in the two deep. I mean, when you're, you know, you're talking about two quarterbacks who I thought both looked better than what they had last year in Cade McNamara and Deacon Hill. Uh, you look at wide receiver. There's a really good chance that two, uh, you know, two out of your top four or five are going to be transfers. Uh, you look at tight end, 1A and 1B. Um, Eric All is one of them. Um, you know, offensive line, Rusty Feth and, and Dejon Parker. Um, I anticipate at least one of them starting, if not both of them starting, probably both of them starting. So if you're inserting basically six guys into your starting lineup, you've made a pretty strong statement. And I know when uh, and Carol, I, you know, listening to Kirk and then talking to him on the side and they, yeah, they segue, let's segue into that. Just kind of what you got from, from having to drive all that way. <laughs> sports radio in the car or were you listening to tunes or both? Uh, I listened to music most of the way over there. And then on the way back, I kind of, I started listening to a couple podcasts. And then when my eyes started getting heavy, I'm like by about Marshalltown. I was like, <laughs> all right, I got to jack this thing up. So, uh, I, I, you know, I can't listen to, you know, Harry Como. No, no, it's not that. Uh, I would only listen to that in like the Chicago suburbs when I need to calm down, but, um, <laughs> 
but uh, you know, from their their speeches, I guess you want to say kind of their can. It what coaches really, were there? Uh, three of the big ones: uh, Fran, Kirk, and and Tom Brands, and along with Gary Barda and and uh, the MC himself, Gary Dolphin. So uh, when you look at um, you know, Kirk was pretty emphatic about how this this transfer portal helped him. That they looked into it. They saw how it could help supplement your team and they're not going to live there. They want to live in development, you know, be a developmental program, but uh, they, they looked at it that way. Fran was not in that same vein. When he talked, he was for, he went on about a five minute rant about pay for play and, and everything, which is what he's done kind of with us before, but it's, I didn't really think it was the area to do it in, but Hey, what, you know, it's his prerogative to say what he wants to say. But uh, but Kirk in particular, he would, and then later on, my questions were, you know, to the, you know, do you feel like you've upgraded your team? And he's like, yeah, and in two areas, quarterback for sure. He goes, we are stronger at quarterback than we were last year, and two offensive line, and part of the offensive line is the growth, and the year over year growth, and then secondly is the you know new players, and he feels like this is the first time in, in a couple of years where we feel like we might have eight, nine, 10 guys who can compete for starting jobs on the offensive line. And, and one of the things I did today or yesterday, I guess it was, I wrote it. Um, the story was, you know, I said, is there any chance this team could be take that jump on the offensive line, like Oh seven to Oh eight where Oh seven, they gave up 46 sacks. They ran for three and a half yards of carry. Um, the, it was just really a disaster up front. I think I counted it up 67 out of the 80 sna- uh, starts were by underclassmen by, you know, sophomores or younger. And then you look at last year in the parallels of 2.9 yards per carry 38 sacks allowed um, 75 out of 85 snaps were by um, underclassmen. And then we know what happened in 2008. I'm not going to suggest that Caleb Johnson is like uh, Sean Green, but I'll say that I think he's pretty good. Um, and we saw, you know, 4.8 yards per carry. They cut the sacks in half. Um, they were, you know, the players like a, a Brian Bulaga, who started as a true freshman, and, um, you know, Julian Vanderveld and uh, Kyle Callaway and guys like that grew up very quickly. Rob Bruggeman. Rob Bruggeman's one of the more underrated offensive linemen that they've had here during Kirk Ferentz era. Yeah. And, you know, and he was hurt in 07. You know, he had yeah. the ACL. So he did, he came back in 08. And then all of a sudden you saw what that team was capable of doing. And I asked him if that was kind of the same case here. And he's like, well, you cherry picked a good one. <laughs> and yeah, I think that's something that's possible because then you start to look at, um, you know, at Mason Richmond, two-year starter, left tackle, um, you know, looked good at times, I thought, last year, also struggled a few times. Um, does he get that consistency back? Uh, Connor Colby, we know what he is. He's a guard, and, mm-hmm. he, you know, he's got the potential to be a pretty good one. Logan Jones is now a year removed from making that move, so he's, his muscle memory and his, you know, attention to detail is better. You know, hopefully the snap comes with it, too, but and then, you, and then other guys that got their feet wet that were probably too young, you know, Jennings Dunker, Bo Stevens, you know, um, you know, then you got Rusty Feth and Dejon Parker coming in. You know, what kind of moves can, you know, Nick DeYoung, you know, he, he played a lot this spring. You know, is he going to – he's a senior now. Uh, Tyler Ellsbury, you know, what, what are they 
capable, how much are they capable of competing and, and who goes where? I, I think that's, it, it looks a lot healthier. You know, I'm not going to go so far as to say good, but I think competent, decent, I think it's fair to say that a year over year with all the same pieces back that you're like, yeah, you know, because again, 75 out of 85 were underclassmen and only six starts are gone. That was Jack Plum. Yeah, some significant progress is needed up front, but there is, again, the word precedent. It has happened before. So, um, and, you know, you think about the minds that are on the coaching staff and their uh, backgrounds with offensive line, you would hope that if the personnel's there, they can, and that's really the whole, that's really the whole gist of this whole thing, Scott, is, you know, you address the personnel issues. Now can you put that personnel in position to succeed? And, Mm -hmm. you know, we've talked about, you know, Brian Ferentz came out in the spring and said, we're doing the same thing we've been doing. I don't know how much of that is, you know, some smoke, um, you got to figure they're going to be, we know what the foundation is. We know what this offense looks like from a foundational and philosophical standpoint, but what can you do within that from play calling to formations to things like that to make this better and put these guys in position to succeed? All right. I mean, looking over the last five years, Rob, you know, when you start looking at like personnel groupings last year in, in 2018, the, the primary personnel grouping was 12 personnel, two tight ends, two receivers, one running back. Uh, the other three years, the primary gr- grouping was 11, which was three receivers, one tight end, one running back. So fullback has not been the primary um, function of this offense at times it, it, it ends up in that way, but it's never really the number one. And so, Okay, you know, what, do you, what elements do you employ throughout that? You know, in the passing game, it's better spacing. It's better um, the, the ability to stretch the field in certain areas, um, you know, route concepts. Um, and I think that's where um, they've been lacking in the passing game. But I also think that that's not just that. I think schematically it's been an issue, but I think the bigger issue is the the personnel and I don't want to blame the players necessarily but the quarterback was inaccurate the receivers weren't good enough they're they were inexperienced lately and the offensive line didn't hold their blocks I mean 38 sacks and there was a lot of uh you know running around so I think if you can sustain blocks a little bit better if you have a quarterback who's more accurate if you got receivers who can get to those spots a little bit easier you should be able to complete more passes go from 55 percent at a minimum to close to 60% just from that alone. Um, you know, the running game part of it is, as we kind of talked about, the the the, the inability uh, for officials to, to properly legislate cut blocks, and it's because a lot of pressure has been put on that. Um, it, it hurts Iowa in its zone scheme. So how does Iowa counter that? Well, when they used a lot of uh, pre, pre-snap motion, you know, jet sweep, whatever, fly sweep, whatever you call it, it's worked, you know, that's worked. It's just a matter of now can all of the offensive linemen hit their marks, hit their blocks, get to where they need to be. And then do the running backs hit the right cuts? I think that's definitely a case. I think they've got three really good running backs who are capable of doing that. So, you know, conceptually, then it becomes play action. And I, and Iowa is a good play action offense 
it, even though people, you know, that's one, that's one area that's gotten overshadowed because of the inabilities of everything else, but I do think they're capable there. But finally, um, the one area that Brian needs some significant, you know, I don't know what changes, but help is red zone. They've been really bad in the red zone. You know, their depth of their routes have been bad. Their, their, uh, you know, throw, you know, every, every part of it has not been successful. And so that's probably the area that I would suggest that they need some real overhaul. And we will see. We will. Uh, it'll be like Christmas in September when we get to see what this is that uh, they've uh, put together here and, and how they're going to scheme to put these players in position to succeed. And we didn't need to talk about defense because the defense will be good. The special teams <laughs> will be good. We'll talk more about that yeah. stuff as the as the uh, summer rolls along here. Let's take our last break of the show and we will come back. We've got some recruiting news, men's basketball and football, both have added uh, in addition to Caleb Brown. Uh, And then we've got uh, Caitlin Clark's homecoming in Des Moines in December that was announced this week. So we'll hit on both of those topics after this break. Hang in there, folks. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. And we are back. Thanks to our sponsors. Thank you guys for hanging in there and everybody listening. Uh, shout out to the folks in the chat room that are watching us live. Tune in next week to see if I will have gotten my hair cut by then. I've been planning on it the past several weeks after seeing my my hair in these podcasts, but I've not had time to do that. But I will hopefully get a chance to do that before the next show. Scott, we've got, uh, let's start with the men's basketball edition because that's a transfer portal edition. Uh, we had talked about this on the program. Uh, not, not unanticipated, I should say, it, or, or I should say it was kind of anticipated that Evan Bruns, uh, graduate of Iowa City West, uh, former teammate of Patrick McCaffrey, played three years at Belmont, averaged about seven points and five rebounds a game. Last season at Belmont, went into the transfer portal, kind of slipped out there a tweet that uh, he had an opportunity from his dream school or something to that effect, which kind of spilled the beans a little bit, uh, that he would be a Hawkeye. I think uh, Iowa took some shots at some higher-ranked transfer portal targets, hard to say. Again, there are uh, there are layers to this NIL, all the stuff that goes on in recruiting now. That's more than just hey, come play for us. There are different uh, factors that go into this. However, it worked out. Evan Bruns is now a Hawkeye, uh, solid player. I, I would uh, uh, encourage people to check out his highlights from Belmont just to kind of see what you're getting. 
Uh, you're not going to, it's not a guy coming in that's going to average 20 and 10. Uh, he is a rotational piece. He's a guy that you hope to get 15, 20 minutes from inside. And this is really, Scott, a transitional year. Um, there are no more Murrays. Uh, Connor McCaffrey's gone. You've lost a lot the last few years. Uh, Aaron Eulis is gone. This team needs to figure out what's going on in the interior. And now you add Evan Bruns to Crick, to um, Mulvey, uh, Owen Freeman's coming in, Dembele's coming in. You've got a group here, and they're going to have to figure it out. And now you add a guy who's got some so – Belmont's not a bad program. It's had success. And Evan is kind of – I would describe him as kind of a junkyard dog. He's going to do – He's going to do the dirty work, and you need guys like that. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's really important. And when and and I, I think that's what this team always needs, really, from that position is just somebody, um, you know, an offensive lineman type. You know, just don't worry. You know, the, the putbacks are there, fine, but just just score. And that's what Philip Robracha was a year ago, and then this last year he was really good. It, it's just a matter to me. I think that. Now that you're, you know, I, I don't know if they're set. Where are they at? 12 scholarships now? They have one left to use. One left to use. Okay. Speculations that it might go to Nimmers because he's kind of showed out pretty well. But um, there are, with again, with NIL and the Swarm Collective, there are ways to kind of put this puzzle together if there was somebody out there that they wanted to add. But I have a feeling this is probably it. Is this, uh, is this enough, Rob? I mean, for the men's basketball team, um, based on what we just talked about with football, eight eight guys, and then, you know, not even talking Nick Jackson on the defensive end line of it. I mean, you're talking about six to seven at least starting. Did Is men, is men's basketball so far back now that it just doesn't going to be able to, to compete? I mean, yeah, I mean, again, I don't know what type of resources Iowa has in the NIL. We talked about a couple of the bigs, Mac some other guys that Iowa was involved in that where the competition was much more stiff. Um, Crick was a, was a good ad. I mean, that's a guy who's, you know, play, you know, average 20 points a game in the Valley. You got to figure that's an upgrade. I think if you, you put Crick and, and Bruns together, you hope to get what you got out of Rebracha last year. Yeah. Production-wise, because Robracha was playing a ton of minutes. Maybe right. you split that up. Mulvey takes a step forward. And then I, I'm high on Owen, Owen Freeman. I think he can I think he could be a significant contributor as a true freshman. Okay. Um, I don't know as much about Dembele um, and where he is along his development path. Um, but I just – I think this is kind of what Iowa is – in basketball right now they're not going to beat, you know a lot of bigger schools in the transfer portal right now and i don't know how much that has to do with the nil and the the resources how much that has to do with whatever facilities uh putting guys in the league things like that i don't think we're, i don't think i was benefited yet benefited yet from Keegan's season and maybe what Chris will do going first round. I think maybe they can parlay parlay that into more on the recruiting trail, whether that be in high school or uh, through the transfer portal. But I don't know. Time will tell. They're going to need 
they're going to need their guys coming back to take big steps forward from Patrick to Peyton to Perk. And I think Desante Bowen quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you look at, you know, you had a two-time first team All-American player of the year in Luca Garza, um, you know, two years in a row, you know, and, and second year he was unanimous player of the year. Then you look at, you know, Keegan Murray being a first team All-American, first round draft pick, top five pick. And now you look at um, Chris Murray, who was a, I don't know, third team All-American, first round draft pick. I, in some ways I look at this and I'm like, you know, are you underachieving? What's not, what's the disconnect here? You know, how can you not convince a post that, hey, look at what Luca Garza did. You can do it in our offense, in the Big Ten, the best league in the country, you know, because you say that every day. Um, you know, what's what about a forward? What about a guard? What about all this stuff? That, and I, I think, you know, Brock Harding and Owen Freeman are huge gets, not only Illinois guys. They're not from that far away. I think both will be, you know, huge contributors next year and probable could be three-year starters. Um, I, I think that's fair. Um, I don't know much about Dembele, um, as you said, maybe he's good. You know, I, I don't know. Um, it's just. You've got Price I, Sanford too. Yeah. Right. Uh, and Josh Dix. I mean, yeah. it's going to, like I said, I think a lot's going to depend on how big of a step forward the returnees can take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, can Perkins and Patrick find consistency? We've seen flashes from those two guys of all big 10 caliber ability. At times, mm-hmm. can they do it at night in and night out? Because they're going to need to. Those, it's their time now. Yeah, you know, and you just immediately you start to go through. All right, what's gonna? What's the uh, lineup going to be to start the game? I mean, you know, a lot of players are going to play, and you're going to go eight or nine deep, and most of them will be somewhere between what uh, seventeen and thirty minutes a game, just depending on their availabilities and stuff. I would say, you know, if you, Perkins at the one. Um, San Peyton Sanford at the two, probably um, Patrick McCaffrey at the three Cricky at the four and then bronze at the five. Is that what you think it looks like? Or is it going to be a little bit different than that? And if Cricky or Crick or Cricky, I don't know how to pronounce it. It ends up. Being I've heard a, both. I've heard, I've been corrected to say it's Crick after saying Cricky. And now when I say Crick, people say, no, it's Cricky. So okay. I'll ask him when we get to talk to him probably next month. Yeah, there you go. Before they go, <laughs> before they go to Paris and that yes. and Barcelona and stuff. Wee wee. Yeah. <laughs> wee wee CC, you know, in Barcelona, <laughs> but uh, you know, and, and, and really, you know, a, a starting lineup in May doesn't really matter, but, no. but I do, but I do think, you know, there, there's enough, there's enough players on this team that they can be competitive right away. Um, but I think it's going to take some time. And as you said, consistency is huge. We knew what kind of player, um, you know, Garza was going to be when he was there, Jordan Bohannon. There was real consistency. Joe, Joe Wieskamp, um, Keegan Murray, we knew where he was going to take a jump, but he did not probably that high, but we did. Chris Murray, we knew he was going to be a stud and, you know, but now you're just kind of going, Okay, what's uh, you know now you're playing more guess the the jump, and I don't know you know and and I do feel you know maybe Price Sanford comes in and he lights everybody up and I I can see that and Owen you know Freeman and and, and Brock Harding are are really good combo because you know 
if you win the Illinois player of the year, you're, you're a damn good player. That is a great basketball state. Um, but I just, I do have a little bit of like, man, did you let an opportunity slip in the recruiting game? You know, you, you, they were able to get Tyler Cook and Joe Wieskamp in the past. And uh, they took a flyer on the Murray brothers and boy, did that pan out. Is it, you know, you, you not, no offense to, to Belmont and, and Valpo, but sure you can't get a another power five guy to come in and step right in and and do your job is it something with the the you know the the collective did there's just not enough money there for the men's basketball team or or what i i don't know you know fran as i said and carol he railed on pay for play just you know kind of really hammered that point home that this is what's wrong the ncaa you know screwed up and all that kind of stuff and you know, so I, I just, I wonder, you know, where, where does Iowa view, what's Iowa's view in this? Cause it's, it's not great right now. Yeah. And I don't know what the perception of the program is from out the outside, from, you know, the, from guys that are in the transfer portal. Um, time will tell and we'll see what we, it's going to be an interesting season this year for basketball, obviously replacing uh, the last two, when you think about the last two years and guys that have left the program, uh, some really significant uh, pieces have moved on. And now it's time for some of the guys that were not the main guys to be the main guys. Um, get over to the 24 uh, football recruiting class, Scott. Iowa added another offensive lineman this week. They now have uh, 11 known commitments in the 2024 class, currently ranked 14th by 247 overall uh, in the country. So good start there. Uh, Will Nolan uh, committed to Iowa, uh, and that was on uh, the heels of Bodie McCaslin, both Illinois, suburban Chicago guys coming in, uh, and they join Josh Janowski. So three Illinois offensive linemen, Chicago area offensive linemen in this class to go along. Uh, with who somebody I love a ton. I've loved him since he committed here and just to follow it all up. Cody Fox from uh, Winthrop oh, yeah. East Buchanan, I think is going to be, he's got potential to be really special. So uh, addressing, we talked earlier about the offensive line and the development and getting better. Uh, they're addressing it with this class uh, with four of the 11 in this class already offensive line. Exactly. Uh, so they uh, they have taken a lot of steps, I think, with this uh, 2024 class. I think the most important part for them is that they've secured their state after the 2003 class, especially when Caleb Proctor decommitted on, you know, you know, with, at the altar. <laughs> yeah. You know, which which you look at the offensive line and shit, he'd be a starter because he might be starting for Alabama as a true freshman. Um, but decommitting that way. Um, and that through, you know, then you start to look at the Des Moines area guys and you're like, Whoa, that, that was not good. I think for them to rally around and get early commitments and keep forcing through and, and securing those guys, but then also hitting the Chicago suburbs. Cause I always think that's an important part for Iowa. I mean, it is, it's closer to the Chicago land than it is to Sioux city or Western mm-hmm. Iowa. So, so, uh, I think this is really, you know, an important step. I mean, other than what Grant Bix, who I, I, Bricks, I think he's probably not an 
Iowa guy. I think that would be fair to say at this point with all the. Yeah, uh, I think he's probably a Nebraska lean if he stays close to this area. Yeah. Um, If he doesn't go like to a a blue blood type, I think. um, And that that part of the state, you get that a lot. You get Nebraska ties. Yeah. Once you get past kind of the Des Moines metro area and into western Iowa, it's it's a little just different. I mean, it is what it's just as close to Lincoln as it is Iowa City and it's a different feel and vibe i know kansas state has really hit iowa hard um in in recruiting and they've done a really good job in western iowa and mm-hmm. you know kansas has tried too they're not quite as i mean it's, it's easier for k-state because you know they just want a big 12 title mm-hmm. but um, but uh so there's going to be it's it's going to be a challenge but i think overall Iowa was able to really lock up its borders with the most of the players they wanted in it and they were late to that bricks party too I mean, yep. there were, he was getting a lot of offers before Iowa threw its hat in the ring. And when, as we know, with younger, uh, with players like that, um, you know, if you're not the first guy to offer in the state, you better be second. Otherwise, they're going to start to wonder, well, why did you offer us late when, in fact, you could have had us early? Yeah, no question. And uh, there are, I, I always like to tell people, Scott, that these recruiting stories, everybody's, different every different kids different backgrounds different um uh things that they want you know traits that they want in schools and coaches you just that's why i think sometimes people come down too hard when you miss on a kid that's in state um you know grant bricks is a really great prospect but is he maybe will nolan ends up being the better player in the long run you just you never know so just hang in there, and uh, this is a good class, top 15 in the country right now. We'll see how it finishes out. As Scott said, six of the 11 are in-state kids, so really good job getting the top prospects in-state. Really good, versatile athletes in this class. I like where Iowa is at, and we'll see how they finish up probably about halfway through uh, that class at this point. Let's finish up, Scott, with some more basketball news. Um, Caitlin Clark is going to head home for a game uh, at Wells Fargo Arena in December, a doubleheader. The men's team will also be playing in that. Seems like a good story, right? A really good story. But alas, we have complaints. Uh, I, heard, I heard a few before. Uh, let me guess, competition level? And... It's the Drake UNI thing. Uh, yeah. I guess Why can they play in Wells Fargo Arena against, you know, who the hell are the men playing? Somebody bad. Florida A and M, um, yeah, Florida A and M. Um, why can why can't they play Drake or UNI? What happened to the Big Four Classic? Yeah, well, you know what? They just need to shut up. I mean, you know, it, <laughs> time it's, to move on. Yeah, uh, you know they're not playing them, so don't worry about it. You know they are. That is the State University of Iowa. It's SUI. That's officially its name. Iowa and Iowa State are here. Drake and UNI are here. That's it. They don't, they, you know, you don't worry about, you don't hear this in Illinois. You don't hear this in Indiana, um, you know, Eastern Central, Western Michigan don't cry all the time because they don't get to play Michigan State in Michigan anymore. Or Ball State and Ohio University don't come play because they don't play the Ohio State University. Why is it Iowa that every, that they, they put them on a level and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, they decided we don't, we don't want to play it anymore that all of a sudden, oh, but, but, but what about us? And and I don't, you know, Drake and you and I, I, 
I respect them as programs. Then they are for mid-major programs, very, very good. But and they've had a great history. But at times it's like, okay, you know, you can become pay opponents at some point. You know, you still play women's basketball there, but you know, the, Iowa gets to call it shot. It just does. So I think at some point you just need to to move on. And um, are these going to be great games? Probably not. But would this have taken place if Caitlin Clark was not a player on the women's team? I don't know. That's 50-50. But it, it's a smart move by Iowa to take advantage of that on games that what nobody would go to in Iowa City. Right. But maybe in Des Moines they will, you know, for a doubleheader. So I, I think that's a really good move. Yeah, the story of this isn't the men not playing Drake and you and I. It's Caitlin Clark getting a chance in what probably is her last season at Iowa. I know people are still hoping she comes back for two, but she may be ready to move on after this season. Um, It's a homecoming for her. Went to West Des Moines Dowling from that area, and that's the highlight. And if they're doing this right, they play the women's game second because that's what people are going to come for. And that's why the arena will probably be sold out is because of Caitlin Clark and the Iowa women's team, not the men playing against Florida A&M. Oh, right. Exactly. Uh, you know, it would, would have been <laughs> sad, kind of sad, but kind of funny if it, if all of a sudden the men's, you know, the fans start showing up about halftime of the men's game, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's what, what it made up. And the Cleveland, Cleveland state was good. I don't have, I do not know. I have, I do not have inside scouting report on Cleveland State, but they were 28 and four last year. It's the Horizon League and they made the NCAA tournament. So it's not like an awful opponent yeah. that they're playing. The men are playing an awful opponent. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think that team won 11 games last year or something. Awful. Yeah. So, but this is a good way for Hawkeye fans in Central Iowa to be able to go and, you know, fill that arena for the face of women's college basketball. Exactly. And look at, you know, look at the, just the groundswell of support the women's basketball program has. And, and this is one way to take it to Des Moines because, you know, we know the season tickets overflowed the requests for next year for women's basketball. So they're not going to be able to fill all those requests, but what they can do is, okay, we understand in Des Moines that you can't quite get to all of them. So here you go with this. And I think that's, uh, this is, this is going to be fun. Um, you know, I, I do know some other games. I foyed the, some of the schedules and, uh, you know, the women play Kansas state on November 16th at home. Did they lose uh, to them last year? Yeah. They lost down there. Yeah. yeah. Like, by like one point, like 84, 83 or something like that. So K state comes to Iowa city on November 16th. No, it's uh, a good uh, early season power five game. Yeah. But Thursday, uh, I think and they must open the season Monday, the sixth against Fairleigh Dickinson. I, um, on a women's game, I don't know if the, um, men play that night yet or not. We don't have that, you know, cause they have opened up with a double header before the men play a double, uh, play North Florida on November 29th, which is a Wednesday. Woohoo. That's exciting. And, I, and, uh, Pearl Harbor day in Ames. So I imagine the women will play, you know, either the sixth or the eighth. I don't know. I haven't gotten that schedule yet but th- those are some other games but i like the doubleheader in des moines i think it's smart take your product on the road central iowa is a place that's turning a little bit cardinal i mean it is it's becoming more and more of an iowa state area so 
be, you know, go there, bring your product there, let people celebrate. And you're not giving up a home court advantage by doing that, by playing a team that's capable of, you know, competing with you, <laughs> at least in the Mets case. Yes. <laughs> that is what, December 16th? Is that the right date for yep. that? Yeah, yep, that's so right. We'll, we'll find out when tickets go on sale for that. I'm sure those will, it'll be interesting to see how quick they go. Yeah, it's what, the 24th of this month, I think, is when they're announced. Is that what they said? Yeah, yeah. So it'd be uh, Wednesday the 24th, in a little less than two weeks, is when uh, the, the tickets go on sale for that. And um, I, I wonder if they'll be combined. I assume that that's the way they'll sell them, um, is a double header as opposed to a single or an event, or, you know, single game. Get the credit cards out, folks. It won't be cheap, but it'll be fun. Um, and it's a good arena to watch basketball. Um, I've watched... Big four games there, and then also have watched state basketball there. It's uh, it's a good facility, a lot of stuff to do down that area, Des Moines, so you can make a night of it and have fun with your friends and family. And uh, have fun with your friends and family this weekend for Mother's Day. Make sure you take care of your mom this weekend. Um, Scott's got a, a kid graduating from college, his second child graduating yeah. from college. Congratulations there. Thank you. Uh, heading up to Minneapolis. Yeah, uh, tomorrow we're heading up, and uh, Saturday's the graduation ceremony. It's something that you know you always wonder about. You question if you put in enough money, if you <laughs> put enough time, you know, to make this happen. And so the fact is that it's she's going to get that piece of paper, and I'm, I couldn't be more thrilled. So, yeah, um, did it. You know, us four no more is what we've, we've been our tagline <laughs> for a long time, and. Uh, and so all of us will be college graduates, and uh, I couldn't be prouder or happier. Nice stage, uh, uh, nice, uh, nice accomplishment. Very, very uh, much. Congratulations to you guys. I've, I'm at a different stage. I've got the uh, high school graduation coming up uh, early next month, so trying to put things together for that. So uh, busy spring here. Um, I would say we probably will have things to talk about next week. <laughs> yeah, I think we will. I don't know what, you know, because I, I could have never predicted what transpired over the weekend and uh, and spilled over into this week. So who knows? Hopefully nothing like that again. But uh, you got to be prepared for it when it does happen. Iowa baseball team home this weekend, last home series against Michigan State. We'll see what comes of that. Um in terms of who's available, who's not available, I'm sure people will be uh, have eagle eyes on Banks Field this weekend to see if uh, if anything transpires there in terms of player availability. But uh, we are going to sign off for this week in the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast, and we'll be back next Thursday, May the 18th. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. We had some activity in the chat room today. Uh, if you want to check that out, people arguing, so... Uh, good, good for them. Hopefully they have got the entertainment they were looking for. Um, thank you to all of our sponsors and Scott and I'll be back next week to talk to you on the Hawkeye hotspot podcast. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.